0: Hey there, and welcome to the Victory Cigar Podcast. My name is Connor, and I am the host of this show. You are listening to episode number two. You can expect a variety of discussions about sports here Major League Baseball, the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, the National Hockey League, and NASCAR Racing will be the focus of the show. But I will talk about just about anything that grabs my attention in the world of sports. Today is February 15th, 2023. And we're going to talk about the NFL, Super Bowl, of course, recapping all that, the NBA, the trade deadline, the All-Star activities and All-Star game and all that stuff coming up. We're going to briefly discuss the NCAA basketball rankings here and uh, see where they're at uh, as we get pretty close to heading into March Madness, which is always a fun time of the year. And we're going to preview a little bit about the Daytona 500 uh, in NASCAR. So I'm going to jump right into it here and talk about uh, the Super Bowl. You know, uh, Super Bowl 57. The Chiefs prevailed over the Eagles, 38-35, in quite a thrilling game from start to finish. The there is some controversy over the way the uh, the game ended, and we'll get to that. But uh, first, let's let's just kind of talk about the game itself and how we got there how we got to such a, a close game final score 38-35 like i said chiefs coming out on top over philly um i mean for, first and foremost my thoughts um i i believe that i don't know that i've seen such balanced great quarterback play in in a minute from both both uh guys on both sides of the uh the gridiron there um mahomes was great Hertz solidified himself, made sure everybody that doubted him as a star player uh, would not be doubting him as a star player anymore. He played great. The Eagles came out pretty hot, I'd say. I mean, they were, It's it's hard to say. I've thought about how to approach this a few times. It's hard to say because they really, they played offensively, they played pretty well throughout. Uh, If you remember the episode last week, I discussed what I thought the keys to victory for each team was. I believe that I said that Kansas City's defense was going to have to step up and they were going to have to get them off the field um, at a better rate, you know, better than they did all year. And that Mahomes and company on offense was going to have to be perfect. Because they were not going to get opportunities, as many opportunities to get the ball if Philadelphia was able to execute their game plan. Which was to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And they did exactly that. I said the keys to victory for Philly was going to be to stick to their game plan. Their run game, play action, option, all that stuff. They were going to have to stick to that and and burn clock, keep the ball out of Pat's hands. They did exactly that, but they lost the game because their defense did not play up to the standard in which we were expecting from Philadelphia's defense, one of the best defenses in the league, by the numbers this season. That was where it fell short. That's where it failed for the Eagles. Uh, I, I, I believe I said that Mahomes was going to have to score against a tough defense. And he did. And their defense just did not play particularly well um, at any point in the game. And that, that's what cost the Eagles. If, if, they, if the Eagles managed to get Mahomes off the field even one time in the second half, they would have won that game.
1: But we'll get, uh, we'll get more into, into that here in just a second. The, the Eagles came out pretty hot
0: offensively. They played pretty well all game. Hertz, you know, missed a couple of throws uh, deep, threw some risky balls down there. Hertz has improved in a, as a passer. I'll, I'll say this: uh, I, I think he played spectacularly in the Super Bowl. He has improved as a passer each season in the league. He's gotten better. He's shown that you can scheme effectiveness out of him as a passer because he's not a natural passer we'll say like a Mahomes or a, a Rodgers or an Allen or a Burrow and at at this stage of their careers at least and he's he's not a natural passer uh, or or naturally as talented passing the ball as those guys are i don't think anybody would argue that he is of course very athletic strong good with his feet he, he's not going to he's not Lamar Jackson you know with his speed or quickness but he's uh, he's strong and he is fast. He gets out there in the open field and he can get moving up there with a lot of the other guys. But he's gotten better as a passer and that was that was on display in the Super Bowl. There were some nice throws. He did miss a few. He did make some some risky choices, some things that he got pretty lucky on. That first touchdown that was a sort of close your eyes and throw it up there one-on-one and hope that your guy comes down with it. I believe it was that A.J. Brown uh, that got that one, I believe. He, yeah, it was A.J. Brown. He he threw that one up. He was pretty lucky that the Chiefs uh, defensive backs weren't able to find that ball quicker, and Brown did. Brown found it and got to it, but it was not a great pass. <laughs> And it was not an accurate pass, and he's, he's lucky because that's one of those balls that if the Chiefs DB turns and sees it and makes that play, gets to that ball before Brown can find it, that's a pick. And then he threw pretty much the exact same ball the next drive or two drives later maybe. And it was nearly intercepted. Brown got a hand in the middle of the Chiefs defensive back, and that nearly got intercepted. Now, Hertz doesn't throw turn the ball over very much. Now, why doesn't Hertz turn the ball over very much? Well, it was scheme, right? It's not because you're asking the guy to throw the ball into tight windows. We talked about this last week. Not everybody has to be those Rodgers, Burroughs, Mahomes guys that are and, and Allen that are slinging the ball into tight windows and slinging the ball deep. You can be a good quarterback, effective at your job, by simply doing what you're asked to do. Jalen Hurts did everything he was asked to do in this Super Bowl, with the exception of, of course, fumbling the ball for a fumble six, picked up by scooped up by Nick Bolton on Kansas City, I believe, and scooped and scored. That was just that's all Hurts. He wasn't even hit uh, as far as the ball or anything like that. He just dropped the football. And you can't do that in the Super Bowl. and that, That's a big, you know, turnovers are going to be a big part of that. But as far as throwing interceptions, he didn't throw any in the game. There was a couple that could have been. He didn't really throw many picks all year. He's, it's, they're schemed for that. Eagles are schemed for that. They're not asking him. They know that Hertz that does not have alien arm talent of dropping the ball over people's shoulders and firing, you know, ropes, lasers into tight windows and, and all that. They know. And that's okay. That's okay, I'm not saying it's not okay, but that that's okay that you can't that not everybody can do that but
1: those plays that those are where it's sort of obvious the difference right um the Mahomes didn't
0: have any deep balls in the super Bowl the 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 Eagles did a pretty good job of taking that away, and what I've seen from Mahomes to to sort of switch gears over to Mahomes now is that. What I've seen from Mahomes, watching him ever since his first year starting, I, I I'm not gonna lie to you. I was on the train immediately. There's just some guys you can just tell. Some of them, you know, in, across sports, sometimes you see a guy who's having a breakout season to start off at early in their career, and you just you kind of know that they're just they're not really it. That it's gonna fizzle out at some point. There's weaknesses. There's flaws, and then there's other guys that come along and. It's there. It's real. You can see that it's real. And, you know, not that I'm making a bragging point here, so to speak, because, I mean, it's it's not like I'm the only one or some sort of savant or anything like that. But on the MLB side of things, I'm a Yankees fan, Die hard ever since I was a little kid for as long as I can remember. And I've seen a lot of great players play for that team. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of great players play in Major League Baseball, been been following it for a long time and when Aaron Judge was doing what he was doing early in 2017 I bought a jersey immediately now I'm a I'm a frugal guy and I I have sports jerseys but usually sort of only go for the the guaranteed things right I don't buy
1: jerseys from guys that are popping off flash in the pan sort of things I bought a jersey in like May I believe of 2017 bought a judge Jersey in, in May of
0: 2017. I just knew this guy was legit. I, I can't explain it to you. And I'm you know I'm sure there's plenty of other people did the same thing or thought the same thing. Obviously he was having a great season. He was had started off on a house of fire, but I knew I, I knew that he was legit, that that was not a mistake. And I was wearing that Jersey, that same Jersey when I watched him hit 62 in Arlington last season. And I just knew. And with Mahomes, I just knew. I, I knew early on. And I, I'm not a Chiefs fan. I'm a Giants fan. But I've been kind of secondarily, you know, hoping for seeing good, more good things out of him. Just the same way I root for a lot of guys. I I, I As a Giants fan that's been in misery for the last decade, you kind of have just latched on to... I, I've kind of latched on to players or teams that I think are fun. And I kind of root for them while the Giants were in hell for a decade. So, you know, it's I, I enjoy watching Aaron Rodgers play, and, and Joe Burrow's fun, and uh, Josh Allen's a lot of fun up there in Buffalo. I mean, as I continue to constantly make reference to those guys because they they are so talented, they're very good. And, uh, you know, Lamar's fun. I don't know who where he's going to end up. That's a discussion for another day. But, you know, Lamar's fun to watch, and... Has his talents, his talent set and everything. But there's, there's these guys that are, that are, uh, that are so fun to watch. And, and Patrick, you know, every time one comes along, I've kind of latched onto him a little bit as a, as a sort of secondary fan due to the Giants' misery. But
1: Mahomes, I just knew, just knew that he had it early. And, um, he, his ability, what I've been impressed with is that early in his
0: career, first couple of years of his career, they really, you know, Tyreek Hill taking the top off the defense, the speed there, they really, he was trying to hit home runs on every swing, and he hit a hell of a lot of them. But that didn't always work out. Throw deep balls, they get tipped up, you get picks there, incompletions, you have drives stall, and die. And what he's learned over the years and improved upon is taking what the defense gives him. And especially this year without Tyreek Hill taking the top off of defenses without having that blazing speed threat down the field this year, he has become so dangerous because he's not trying to force the ball to somebody who's not Tyreek Hill that's that's running deep downfield. He's taking what, what you give him, and it hurts because he still is – a threat to just bomb you for a quick fifty-yard touchdown at any time, as well. You know, if somebody gets loose, he's not going to miss them. That's that's the big thing, and that's kind of what I was getting to with uh, like watching Hertz throw some of those deep balls that were not so great, not placed so great, not thrown so great. Is that guys that are the the true arm talent passers? No, no matter who they are, and all through history, you know your your Marinos and. Montanas and and Elways your Brett Farves you know all that stuff those guys they just it was rare to see a miss on an open guy that was deep right and that's the thing about Mahomes is that you you if he's taking what you give him and you're giving him going like yeah sure you know throw 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 a 6-yard slant route over the middle or or an 8-yard out or whatever yeah, sure. We'll we'll give you we'll kind of give you those. And where where Kansas City gets lethal is the way that they scheme their receivers for yak yards after catch and that Mahomes will take it. You know, he Mahomes wants to throw 50-yard bombs. Every quarterback does. Right? But he when he's taking what you give him and he's that threat to where if somebody breaks loose deep, he won't miss. That's that's so lethal. That's so dangerous. You got quarterbacks where a guy can break loose and it's like, "Oh, there's a guy wide open." And he throws it in, it's overthrown, it's underthrown, it's to his right, it's to his left. You know, but those guys the the, the truly elite passers, they don't miss. And that's what makes them so lethal is when they take what you give them and they'll sit there and they'll pick up 6, they'll pick up 10, they'll pick up 8, they'll pick up 5, they'll pick up 12 and then they can hit you for 35 to, for the touchdown after they pick up all those yards, that's that's where you get into really dangerous territory. And I, and I don't just mean to be fawning over Mahomes here. I'm just sort of speaking in general for those elite passers. But that's what makes Mahomes so dangerous. And he didn't hit any of those bombs in the Super Bowl. I believe his longest
1: completion... I think his longest completion through the air was 22 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Um... And heck, that
0: might have just been his long with Yak, but the he he took what they gave him, and it worked. Their running game was strong too. Kansas City's running game was
1: strong. The um, I have the stats here. Yeah, uh, Isaiah Pacheco
0: uh, ran for seventy-six yards on fifteen uh, carries for a average of five point one. So that'll work. And when you're getting five yards every time you run the ball when that guy, that's pretty good. Jarek McKinnon ran the ball four times. Got 34 yards. Of course, he would have scored a touchdown if he walked into the end zone, but he smartly slid down to help continue to run the time off the clock and kick the field goal. And, of course, uh, Mahomes uh, scrambled effectively on that ankle for 44 yards and uh, on uh, six, six attempts with his longest being that sprint in the fourth quarter there for 26 yards. But the, uh, the the Chiefs came in with a more balanced... This team was more balanced. There was no Tyreek Hill to take the top off the defense uh, this season, but the team seemed to be, and especially going to the Super Bowl, more balanced than they have ever been as far as being able to run the ball effectively. Because, I mean, realistically, that's the... That's the when you lose a guy like Tyreek Hill. I mean, that's how you're going to continue to keep your offense so explosive. And they again had the best offense in the league, and but it was in a different way. It was in running the ball and taking what the defense uh, gives you from from Pat. You know, not as many of those deep uh, deep bombs. And uh, they they Andy Reid once again he did it again. Now, so anyway, all the way back to to I'm sorry, I kind of rambled there for a minute all the way back to the, on the Chiefs' side of the ball, that, that's how they got the job done. They took what that defense gave them. They ran the ball well. They did not get the
1: ball very much. I believe that the Chiefs had the ball eight times. I believe. I could be, it could be nine. I believe it was eight.
0: Sorry, very, very stat-oriented here and making sure that we're on top of things. I believe they had the ball eight times. They scored six times. They cashed it in six times. They missed a field goal on one of the other ones. Could have been seven out of eight. They missed a field goal. And they cashed five touchdowns and one made field goal, one missed field goal. And that was, that was early in the
1: game with the missed field goal. And I believe it was like fourth and three. It was fourth and short, and Andy Reid's
0: very wisely, in my opinion, opted for the chance at points. It didn't work out, but as you can see from how close the Super Bowl was, 38-35, you got to take the points where you, where you can get them, right? And, you know, it's a different story. You know, fourth and one, fourth and inches is maybe a different story, but a fourth and three with a 42-yard try you know you, you gotta you gotta take that you gotta you gotta give that a shot you gotta give that a shot forty you know fourth and three from where you are on the field you, you try to take your points there and it didn't work out but they uh, I, I still believe that was the right decision I'm sure that Sirianni over there on the other side of the ball for the Eagles would have gone for it I believe the Eagles got every fourth down they went for as well which I was waiting for it to bite him in the butt because. And it got awfully close, I believe twice, to biting them in the butt when they went for it. And they really, I was waiting for it to hurt them, but they got away with it. It didn't. Usually you go for it that many times in a game, and it's going to burn you once. And they got lucky, and and it didn't. Uh, They schemed well. They've got good fourth down plays. But the Chiefs, the, the biggest thing about this game was that the Chiefs cashed. They, they were not going to get the ball very much, and they cashed just about every time they got it. You know, take it to the bank. Points, points, points. They scored on every drive of the second half. They did not punt the ball in the second half. They only kicked the field goal at the end to win the game in the second half. That would have been a touchdown, obviously. That would have been five for five in the second half on touchdowns. Instead, they went a paltry Four for five, four touchdowns and one field goal in the second half. That's the biggest, to me, That that's the biggest part of the the game. The momentum swing. Philadelphia had a 10-point lead going into the half. Kansas City came out and didn't miss. Perfect. Throwing strikes. And I've got the statistics here to talk about that. Um, I'm, I'm going to get to the Eagles here, and it's, I'm going to go on a whole Eagles thing in just a second, but we're going to finish up with the Chiefs. So, Mahomes in the first half was 8 for 13, 89 yards. So what what I'll say here, too, actually, before I get into the specific stats, is that Mahomes won Super Bowl MVP. In a vacuum, Hertz and Mahomes, if you compare the stats side by side, I'll go over the individual stats and we'll go over the half stats. So Mahomes was 21 for 27 for 182 yards, 6.7 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no picks, no sacks, and a 131.8 rating. Jalen Hurts was 27 for 38 for 304, eight yards per attempt, one touchdown thrown, no interceptions, two sacks. And of course he rushed the ball 15 times. Hurts did for 70 yards on top of that uh, 304 passing. Now, when you look at him in a vacuum, you say, well, I mean, I'm sorry. Mahomes had 44 yards rushing as well on top of his 182 passing. So, in a vacuum, you look at it and say, "Well, Hertz played the better game: 304 passing yards, 70 yards rushing. His team let him down. Now, to a degree, that that's true. His team, his defense, did let him down. Now, Mahomes won MVP. There was some, you know, there was some rumbles of maybe Hertz should win it despite being on the losing team. But Mahomes, what stands out to me about Mahomes and why, what I'll say to play devil's ad, advocate to that argument is that Mahomes. Did exactly, excuse me, uh, what he was asked to do, and was pretty much perfect in doing it. Twenty-one for twenty-seven, one eighty-two. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't blow you away, but he only had eight drives, and the he threw three touchdowns, th- no interceptions, no fumbles, didn't take a sack. Now his offensive line played immaculately. And sacks are usually offensive line product. It's, it's hard to put a number on that. It's like when a quarterback takes a sack, probably three quarters of the time it's the O-line getting beat. But there is a degree of taking sacks that is on the quarterback when they take too long uh, through their progressions, making their reads or just making a decision, realizing that the play is not there and just throwing it away. And so that, that's where that comes into play. Most of the time it's obviously the O-line letting somebody blow by them or run over them and get to their quarterback. But sometimes sacks are a quarterback's fault. So for him to play with zero was immaculate O-line play and good decisions by him, whether it was taking the check down because the pressure was coming or throwing the ball away because nothing was there. It's indicative of of a good game by the a great game by the offensive line and a good game by the quarterback. Good decision making. is usually the the way that I see that. And Hertz only took two sacks. There was not a lot of pressure from from both teams in this game. Um, I mean the Eagles are specifically designed to for Jalen to either get the ball out quickly or run all that pass option play action
1: stuff. So. They, uh, they, they don't really take sacks in general. But So my argument
0: for Mahomes is that when you look at that in a vacuum, Jalen Hurts played the better game. And you know statistically, yeah, I mean, he, he beats him on uh, over 120 yards, 122 more yards passing and an extra 36 yards, sorry, 26 yards rushing. But Mahomes did what he was asked to do and executed the game plan perfectly. At no point did did, did Mahomes look uh, nervous or anything like that. I don't think Hurts really looked that way either, but at no point did did Mahomes look nervous. He stepped in, and he got the job done. And he was nearly perfect doing it. And especially when you look at these first and second half stats is what's really, you know, sort of eye-popping. So we'll get to the Mahomes part here about first second half now. The first half he was 8 for 13 attempts for and completions. Threw for only 89 yards, 6.8 yards per attempt, one touchdown. And in the second half, he was 13 of 14 for 93 yards, 6.6 yards per attempt, two touchdowns. And I believe that one incompletion was a throwaway. So he didn't throw an incompletion in the field of play in the second half. That is Impressive in the Super Bowl against a highly-rated defense. He went out there and just got the job done, play after play. Now, of course, they they benefited from uh, Kadarius Tony's fantastic punt return, longest punt return in Super Bowl history, took him all the way down to the five-yard line. They cashed in there, touchdown. That was the play that put them up eight, I believe, after they, they scored that touchdown, got the extra point, put them up eight. Of course, the Eagles came back and, and got, their, got their six and their two-point conversion, tied it
1: back up. But he played flawlessly in the second half, completely flawlessly, and taking care of the ball was huge.
0: And as well, through the, through the whole game, took care of the ball. He made one risky little Mahomesy y magic-y sort of you know, flip play that he tried. I think that was in the first or second quarter. I think it was the second quarter. Other than that, he took care of the ball. He didn't do anything crazy. It's funny watching him in the playoffs versus watching him in the Super Bowl. He, or sorry, in the regular season, is that he absolutely, Mahomes, attempts
1: some risky plays in regular season games. Because I think he gets bored he gets bored. That's, that's
0: the only way to describe that. He gets bored, so he tries something crazy, and sometimes it don't work. Anyway, he played nearly flawlessly in the second half, so that, that's my takeaway for the Chiefs and Mahomes. They executed their game plan brilliantly. They, they didn't get the ball very much. The Eagles executed their game plan very well, but it came down to Kansas City's defense got a couple of stops in the second half, and the Eagles' defense did not. Pure and simple. I believe the Eagles punted twice in the second half. And, the of course, the Chiefs cashed everywhere. But the Eagles did a pretty good job overall on offense. They just faltered a little bit there uh, down the stretch. But they did a pretty good job overall. And when you look at it on paper, you look at all these numbers, you feel like the Eagles did
1: enough to win. I mean, that's how close this game was, As you feel like they did enough to win. And they... It, it It's going to be it's going to be interesting looking at them going forward because they lo- they've
0: already lost uh, the news in the time between the Super Bowl and me recording this episode. Their offensive coordinator is gone. I believe he took the Arizona job and the defensive coordinator or no, sorry. I believe the offensive coordinator took the Indianapolis job and the defensive coordinator took the Arizona job. I could have those reversed, but basically their, their coordinators are heading to Indy and Arizona for head coaching gigs. lost them. They're going to have some free agents and everything. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to spend and who they're going to bring back or how they're going to improve the team. I mean, offensively, I think they're pretty set up. They're in pretty good shape, but the defense is going to need some work and some retooling, and they're probably going to lose some guys. They do have two picks in the draft, I believe. I think they have the 10th overall pick. They got a trade, and of course they're going to have the
1: 32nd or 31st, sorry. 31st pick since they have they have that. Now, um the let me see takeaways. Anything else about the game before we get into the into any of that discussion? I Well, I, I'll say to to give Hertz his flowers here a little bit. You know, Hertz
0: Hertz led this team. He he was he was the driving force with his legs uh the short yardage situations all the fourth down conversions made some good passes uh they they scored they they cashed in a lot they were getting the job done but I wasn't entirely surprised like I said last week on the episode going into that because Kansas City's defense is so weak or so much weaker I should say than than Philadelphia's so that didn't entirely surprise me they had long drives Clock eating drives. That was the game plan, you know. Eight plays is a short drive for them. You know, uh, they they had, I think they even had a seventeen play drive, thirteen plays, twelve. You know, they were they were eating clock, running the ball, keeping the their their running game didn't really step up. I'll I'll say that in general, their their other rushers did not rush well. Uh, but they were running Hurts a lot. A lot of design quarterback runs that got the job done, picked up yards, made manageable third downs, fourth downs. They picked up a lot of yards in the passing game. They were converting third downs at a crazy rate. That's That was the biggest thing, was Kansas City kept getting them to third down. They could get them to third and 10. They could get them to third and eight. They could get them to third and 14. They couldn't get them off the field. Um, They... That, that, that is really where Kansas City faltered and where the game really could have been a blowout the other way. If Kansas City had just gotten one, two, three of those stops on third and long at any point and gotten the ball back into their, their offense's hands, totally different story. But the Eagles executed on third down. That's why this game was so close and why they scored so many points. They executed on third down at a ridiculous rate. Eagles rushing game, though, was not there. Kenneth Gainwell rushed seven times for 21 yards. Boston Scott, three carries for eight yards. Miles Sanders, seven carries for 16 yards. That's yards per carry of three, 2.7 and 2.3, respectively. Now, of course, Hertz ran the ball 15 times for 70 yards. That was 4.7 yards per carry. He, of course, scored
1: three rushing touchdowns. And his longest run was for 28 yards. Now, the, for whatever reason, the Chiefs were, were ready
0: for the run game, run game. Hurts, I mean, it is always difficult to stop designed quarterback runs with an athletic, talented you know quarterback. That, that's always tricky because until they cross that line of scrimmage, there's always a threat, right? Quarterback can tuck the ball, run to his right, and you think, you know, we've seen, it, we've seen it plenty of time before. You think, oh, this is a run. He can pull that sucker back out and let it fly, right? So it's, it, could be, it could be tricky to, to game plan for that. And, of course, there's no delay between the, a quarterback handoff directly to, you know, handing it off to, to a running back. He snaps the ball, gets it in his hands, and tucks it, and he's ready to fly. He can find the hole. He can see it better than anybody. He can see the whole field better than anybody can. And that can be tricky to game plan against. And so Hertz was extremely effective in that regard, uh, whereas the running backs for Philadelphia were not. So that was a that was a big key uh, as well. Was Philadelphia was having to turn to short yardage gains, keeping the drives alive, picking up you know six yards here, eight yards here, five yards there, through the air, as opposed to being able to make those gains on the ground they would have liked. Uh, the way they would have liked to, and keeping that clock running, keeping those drives going, but yeah, I guess that's that's probably about all I have to say, you know individually for each quarterback for each team, how they executed the game plan, how they did before getting into some of the other issues oh, I've got one more statistic here that is, that is very interesting Mahomes was uh was money in the playoffs in his playoff games this year, so three playoff games they were the first round by of course being the first seed. In the AFC, so playing against the Jaguars, Bengals, and Philadelphia in the Super Bowl, three games uh, on one leg basically for Mahomes. I, th- I think that that should not be, you know, understated enough. On one leg after a high ankle sprain, they're shooting that ankle up full of all God knows what. Right, uh, getting him out there and he gutted it out. I mean that that that. The whole run is impressive to gut that out on on such a that's a serious injury. I mean, that's usually a a four to six weeks kind of deal, you know, maybe more, uh, depending on the severity of a, of the high ankle sprain. But he gutted it out. They taped it up. They drugged him up. They got him out there. But he was seventy two for a hundred passing, so seventy two percent completion uh, throughout the entire playoff run. Seven hundred and three yards passing. Seven touchdowns and no interceptions. That's huge. I mean, to to have zero interceptions over three playoff games against three teams, to have made it far enough to get, you know, to get to those stages of the playoffs. the the, the Jaguars had to win one game to get to into the divisional round to play them. No picks there against a team that won a playoff game. Plays Cincinnati. No picks there against a team that won two playoff games. And no picks against a top rated defense in Philadelphia who won three sorry, who won two playoff games as well, since they had a first round bye to get to the Super Bowl and be the number one team on the NFC side of things, to throw no interceptions in any of those games in a pass heavy offense on a hundred passing attempts. No interceptions on 100 passing attempts through the playoffs against good defenses. That's impressive. That's impressive. So that, that was the Mahomes run. I, I saw that statistic, wanted to talk about that. Now, on to the next thing, which would be my thoughts on the officiating in this
1: game. As I, I think we've, we've covered just about everything I needed to cover there. The officiating in this game was...
0: It was weird. It wasn't as bad as either of the championship I think the championship games were officiated horribly for everybody involved. I, I felt as though there was a little favoritism towards Philadelphia in the NFC championship game. I felt as though the AFC championship game, as we discussed, was, was a mess <laughs> for, for everybody. This game was weird. They mostly let them play in the Super Bowl. They mostly let them play. But they did miss calls that
1: should have been called. You know, I I don't, I don't love seeing flags fly out on every play. But there were certainly some plays that stick out in my mind that needed to be called.
0: There was, of course, the juju call in the, I think, early in the second quarter where Bradbury clearly held him on a third down. I mean, clear as day should be called I have no idea i mean they're in the middle of the field who who is not looking at them right that interestingly enough that killed that drive it was third down i believe it was somewhere around midfield that that happened you know you can argue in theory that 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 could have been points that that could have been points that were that were taken away from Kansas City because that should have been Automatic first down, keep that drive going, cross midfield. You know, who knows what would have happened after that. Maybe they would have faltered out and got nothing, but maybe that could have been three, could have been seven. But that drive was, was killed by a very clear holding call that did not get called. And they talked about this on the broadcast, this next thing that I'm going to complain about. They talked about it on the broadcast the first time it happened. And it was that Lane Johnson, right tackle for the Eagles – Seemed to me, I counted four or five as I was just watching the game, that he jumped early. He was false starting left and right. And I'm not buying it from Greg Olson that he explained, or he said, he claimed. The fir- they only showed it the first time. They didn't talk about it the rest of the game. Didn't mention it again, even though we kept watching it happen. That Greg Olson, they show the slow motion replay, and he goes... I I don't really think that's a false start because I think he's just sort of he's so in tune with that center Jason Kelsey that that it's just at just the right time and as he's saying this Fox has got the slow mo where you can see the center and you can see the right tackle and he jumps early. I mean it's like clear as day that he jumps early. Not close in my opinion it's usually that's the funny thing about watching false starts when you're watching a game too as as any sort of fan is how obvious it is because it just looks weird it doesn't look right when one of the other players that's not the center you know moves before the ball is snapped you can tell and he did it at least four or five times and it was not called a single time which was very strange because they'll let sort of hand fighting and maybe little holds and pulls and you know line chucks at the line and all that stuff. They'll they'll let you know. They'll, they'll, sometimes they'll let that stuff go when they're letting them play. They never let form penalties go. They never let those false starts, those offsides. You know the you you just you can't let those go. And it was weird because it sure seemed like they were letting them go in this in this game. They let. I don't think I saw a false start. Well, no, I take that back. I think there was one on Kansas City at one point. I believe there was one on Kansas City, if my memory serves me correctly. But I swear, Philadelphia just kept doing it. And it was Lane Johnson specifically, and the right guard did it a couple of times too, where the right guard and the right tackle Johnson both did it. And they just didn't call it. They said, no, we're not interested in calling that. So that was strange. I'm not saying, you know, how much of a profound impact that had on the game or anything like that. But it was just odd.
1: It was just odd to see so many that seemed so obvious to people sitting at home not get called. And that being said as well, overall,
0: I'm, of course, I'm always in the camp of, like, let them play. And that... You know, if if you've got to call something, it's got to be egregious. It's it's got to be there. It's got to be obvious. I I've seen some really bad pass interferences or or holding calls in all of my time watching football, where you're just scratching your head as to as to why we're calling that. And so that kind of brings us down. Those were just a couple of gripes I had that I could remember off the top of my head that that Juju should have been a hold in the in the second quarter that that killed that drive and the, all those weird false starts that didn't get called. But overall, they seem to be letting them play. Um, But we get down, of course, the the, the play, the penalty, what everybody's been talking about. James Bradbury holds Juju on a third down, and I want to say eight, if I'm remembering right, about third and eight, third and nine, something like that, deep
1: in Philadelphia territory, in the red zone. A holding is called that... Ends up giving. I think at the time there was about a minute,
0: uh, minute forty left, and it's a hold that is going to allow Kansas City to get a first down and to basically take a knee down, uh, to kick a field goal and try to win the game. Now, everybody lost their minds that the game could be decided like this. Like Hertz deserves. Another shot down the field. Now, in, in speaking, again, as, as somebody who's, who's you know in the let them play camp and all that stuff, there's a few things that, that sort of grinded my gears, so to speak, about the arguments about that call. For one, he did it. I mean, James Bradbury, you could say he was being classy, took the high road, whatever. He, he admitted it after the game. But he did it. It's, it's clear there is photographic evidence, video evidence. He did it. And it's one of those calls where if they don't make that call, Kansas City fans are rightfully livid because it's, it's a foul. It's a penalty. They would be livid about, about not getting that call. The way that they were livid over not getting the call in the first uh, half. And... Rightfully so, I think. I don't think that there's anybody, you know, as somebody whose team was not in this, it, it doesn't matter. I, you know, it could have been anybody. If it was their team, would have been livid over not getting that call. And if it was their team that was, you know, the Philly fans, they would be livid over that being called. And so it was. It was one of those. It was one of those plays where, you know, was it? Did he, you know, did he put two hands and yank on him or anything? No, he didn't. But he did with his right hand, ignore that left hand when you're seeing the replay, and, the, and that seems to be what they're focusing on. Right hand on his towards his right ribs, Juju's right ribs. He grabs Jersey. There is a fist full of Jersey there. And by you know, by definition of a of a holding call, that's it. He's got a fist full of Jersey. You can't do it. And there's been people talking about, oh, well, what about the five-yard rule? I believe the five-yard rule is actually gone now about the contact between the inside the five yards of the line of scrimmage. And on top of that, it doesn't apply to holding. It never applied to holding. You can never hold. That is the one, you know, they can let you get away with other types of contact. You can never hold. It doesn't matter where you are or who you are. You cannot hold. And he did it. So let me get that out of the way first. Pure and simple, he did it does it but at the same time does it suck that that's the way that the game you know played out and that that's the the way that the the call the way the call came down yeah it does you know because you you want to see either Kansas City make that stop and celebrate you know or or Philly have their chance to go down and and tie or or win the game but you know was it a penalty yeah does it suck
1: that it ended that way yeah but the I think that my biggest pet peeve, the biggest thing that was grinding
0: my gears was Greg Olson. Everybody's been praising Greg Olson all year for doing a great job, but he makes good insights. A lot of color guys make some great insights. He makes good insights, but he, you know, they're, they're, he's, he's got his negative points in my opinion as well. I won't get into that too much, but something that he did that annoyed me was his open argument with the former head of officiating, Mike Pereira, on the Fox broadcast. His open argument and the crux of his argument about that call, which was when it happened, he says, I don't know, I just, I don't think you can call that in this stage, at this point of the game, in the Super Bowl, you just can't call that. I don't know, I don't know. You just, you can't do that. And it was like, well, first to that end, and I'll talk about the Mike Pereira thing in a second, but to that end, it's like, Greg, it's a foul. It doesn't matter if it happens in the first quarter or the fourth quarter. It's a foul. It doesn't matter if it happens in a preseason game or the Super Bowl. It's a foul. Now, we can, I will agree all day with anybody that, that is upset about the inconsistency of NFL officials. Hundred percent, because you, you can't you can call a foul on probably every play of an NFL game. There's never a clean play. There's always a foul somewhere. You can we can, we can agree one thousand percent on on that. I'll agree all day that the, the NFL officiating is inconsistent
1: and that's its biggest problem. But the the circumstances of the game they don't matter. It's If it's a foul in the first quarter, it's a foul
0: in the fourth. If it's a foul in a preseason game, it's a foul in the Super Bowl. And you can't... Because if you think about it on the flip side of that, the Eagles, you're openly saying that the defender should be allowed this advantage of pulling on that jersey on a third down in the Super Bowl. How is that right? How how is that right to say that the receiver should get cheated because it's third down in the Super Bowl, it, late in the game, in the fourth quarter? Th- so that that's where my brain breaks on trying to understand the logic of that. Where it's like ah, oh, you you can't call that the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. You can't you can't call that. That's a that's a that's a bad foul. And it's like it'd be one thing if it was. Like a a illegal contact. I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is that this was clearly a penalty. And to say that it was not a penalty or that it shouldn't be called is coping. Because it's not like this was a complete, like they barely brushed or something like that. And they called it a flag. Then I could see your argument to that where it's like, hey, you know, what are we doing calling that? Because, I mean, first of all, I mean, but it's not what are we doing calling that in the fourth quarter? It's what are we doing calling that in general would be my argument to, to that sort of point, if that makes any sense to you listeners out there, that what are we do when you see a really like a barely brushed a guy or whatever, and you get some kind of illegal contact or whatever penalty on that. And it's like, what are we even doing calling that in general? So that's a completely different argument. I'm not talking about calling that fourth quarter. That's just, you know, what are we doing in general? That was a foul. It was clear. He did it. Now, the second part of what he did annoying, that was annoying to me, Greg Olson, that is, in arguing with Mike Pereira, going, Mike, Mike, I, you just, you can't call that. In the Super Bowl, Mike Pereira is sitting there going, Greg, it's a foul. It, it, it has to be called. It's a foul. And he's going, I just didn't really see it. And it, Mike Pereira was trying to explain, and Fox did an incredibly poor job of finding a good replay a good angle that would show this better, but it was off the, the jump of the route. And when he went into his break that I believe Juju went right, then went left. And when he went left is where Bradbury grabbed him and grabbed and held. And there's angles. There's obviously there's plenty of photos out there that that you can find that shows, shows that. But on Fox, they were sort of framing it that was i think that's what caused the controversy to be honest with you is the was the fox coverage where the fox is only showing a very brief a millisecond of the hold and then showing the left hand go to the left side of juju as he goes tries to go over the top whereas i don't think this controversy is much of a controversy if fox got it right and showed you, and that's what Mike Pereira was trying to say. Was he was saying, "Greg, look at the whole play, because they didn't show, they didn't do a good job in live time of showing the whole play, and how there is a very clear, obvious grab and pull, a hold, very clear and obvious. And if you don't believe me, look it up yourselves. Okay, I I can't show it to you. We're in an audio medium right now. I can't show it to you." But look it up yourselves and watch the whole play. You know, Find a video that shows you every angle that they got that's been put together that shows you the whole play, and you will see it. It's there. And it's not like they threw the flag after the incompletion as well. That flag came flying out very quickly. That flag came flying out as soon as it happened, well before Mahomes threw the ball. So it, it was there, and they saw it and they were they were throwing it and they didn't throw it just because the pass went incomplete they threw it well before the ball was thrown they
1: threw it because they saw it and i just i i personally i think it's just such a non it's such a non
0: issue the, the the that's not what lost them the game that's not what the, what lost the eagles the game that's operating under the assumption that philadelphia would have tied or taken the lead as well with no timeouts in a minute 30 left or whatever it would have been as well. That's operating under that assumption, which is absurd. I mean, people will say, well, they should have had their chance. They lost that game because their defense didn't get a stop in the second half. They lost that game because their defense got two stops, really only got one stop. And heck, that, the, the stop they got was a, was a hold in the second quarter. They lost because they didn't get any stops. That, that's it. They lost because their defense gave up
1: four touchdowns in the second half. I just don't think that you can frame it any other way. Or sorry, I should amend my, what I said. Uh, three touchdowns, not four. Uh, there was the scoop and score.
0: But they they gave up three touchdowns the second half and would have been four. Um if if Kansas City had wanted it there at the end, but they gave up three touchdowns in the second half. That that's why they lost, and their their defense couldn't get a stop. Their defense gets one stop, they win the game, and they couldn't get off the field. So I think it's it's ludicrous to say that the, that the play cost it. Sure, it it cost them their shot at maybe being able to tie the game or win the game, but it didn't cost them the game, and the guy. He he did it. Bradbury did it. He admitted he did it. He said he said that I I did. I held him. I
1: hoped that they wouldn't see it, and they saw it. And they they lost the game. I mean, they 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 lost,
0: and and I think I just think it's it's foolish to sort of uh, to
1: hyper fixate on that <laughs> and that Kansas City, uh, Kansas City was certainly Kansas City was certainly uh the beneficiary
0: in in that particular situation but they uh it was a, it was a flag i mean that and that's that's my opinion you're listening you're you're listening to all my opinions i'm not the i'm not necessarily the the fact show the, or the reading statistics show it's an opinion show and in my opinion that was a penalty and that I, I I challenge anybody that disagrees to go back and look at the tape and look at it, and don't come just just don't come at me with the well you can't call it on the Super Bowl well when
1: should we call it it's a flag by the rules you either have a rule book or you don't and it 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 it
0: was a you know it was a flag so that's that's my take on that that wraps up the NFL season. That's uh, that's the end of that. Uh, we'll see. On this podcast, we probably will not be discussing football until there's any sort of uh, major moves made, you know, free agency or trades or anything like that. Until it's time to head to training camp for the new season next year, there will be uh, there'll be plenty to talk about week to week in uh, in the NFL when we when we get back around to it but that's i think that puts a wrap on the on the NFL season. So, uh short recap, those are all my takes there. Uh the uh, the whole too long didn't listen uh as we're about 55 minutes deep into this discussion is Mahomes played great. He led his team to touchdowns nearly every time he touched the ball, led them to to points nearly every time he touched the ball. Didn't turn the ball over. Played fantastic uh, throughout the playoffs on one leg. Seven touchdowns, no interceptions, 72 for 100 passing, 700 yards throughout, the, throughout his uh, postseason run through the Super Bowl. Fantastic performance by him all the way through. Jalen Hurts was awesome in the Super Bowl as well, carrying them on his back uh, literally and metaphorically, carrying the, the Eagles offense on his back. Uh, with with his uh with his arms and his legs and great great uh, running game from Kansas City Philadelphia running game kind of shut down
1: the game the officiating of the game very odd
0: as i said some things that were maybe missed and uh it was a penalty at the end it was a hold and you can't if you're not gonna you you can't pick and choose where to call it the uh, the defense should not be allowed an advantage just because it's late in the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl you commit a foul you commit a foul so that's that's uh, that's pretty much a recap on my take of the Super Bowl so great game I hope everybody that watched it uh, did enjoy it regardless of kind of a lackluster ending oh one more thing there in in my thoughts is again repeating what I said earlier <laughs> two things can be true that it was a penalty and that it was a you know an unfortunate a sucky way to end the game it two things can be true they don't have to be you know separate from one another uh two two things can be true is it is is it a more exciting ending if if Philadelphia gets their chance to go to go see what they can do yeah but
1: was it a penalty yeah and 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 do you got to call it yeah so we'll see how the
0: offseason shapes up, trades free agencies, Lamar Jackson, you know, you never know with all those guys, uh, people going to be moving around as always because in football there is pretty much no such thing as loyalty outside of maybe the quarterback position because you got to get your money, it's a rough game, it's a violent game, you're going to have guys leaving teams, secure the bag, if you will. So we'll, uh, we'll break uh, any of that discussion open when it's time. Uh, as, as for that, that's a wrap on the NFL season. The next thing that we're going to get into on the show is we're going to talk about the NBA trade deadline. So we're going to get right into this. The NBA trade deadline was last Thursday, which would have been the 9th of February, I believe. And I have the list of all the moves that were made. So we're going to go over them very quickly here. Uh, Some obviously very minor, others very large, blockbuster if you will. So the first one that went down was actually all the way back in January, a month before the Celtics traded Noah Vonley to the Spurs. The Celtics received a future conditional second round pick. The Spurs got Noah Vonley and some cash. The Lakers got Rui Hachimura? I don't know if I pronounced his first or last name correctly there, but that was January 23rd. The Lakers got him. The Wizards got Kendrick Nunn, a conditional 2028 second-round pick, and a 2029 second-round pick. The Mavericks made the big splash just before the trade deadline, though. Um, They acquired Kyrie Irving. Back to the page there. The, The Mavericks acquired Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris. In exchange for Spencer, did Woody and Duran Finney-Smith, then Woody heading back to the Nets from the, the Mavericks uh, had acquired him. I think the Mavericks acquired him from Washington, if I remember right, but he'd been traded there by the Nets, so he goes back to the Nets. Uh, the Nets got a 2029 first-round pick and two future second-round picks. I mean, throwing around second-round picks in the NBA is basically throwing nothing uh for being honest there's it is so rare that there's actually a quality player found in the second round. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it is rare. I don't think that I could be disagreed with there. So throwing around second round picks really means nothing to any of these teams. It's only first rounders that really mean something. And at that it's really only usually picks in about the top 15 that might be good. Usually you don't get any late first rounders that are that great might find some solid role players but you never really get any stars outside the top 10. Um so we'll see how that has to play out in 2029. Mavericks aren't worried about that for 6 years, I guess. They'll heck, they'll pro- they'll probably trade somebody and get a first round pick back at some point for that same draft. The Heat traded uh, Dwayne Dedmon to the Spurs. Spurs got him in a second round pick. The Heat got cash, straight cash. The Kings traded uh, or sorry, traded for kessler Kessler-Edwards and some cash. The Nets got draft rights to David Michno. The Raptors added Jacob... Oh, gosh, I always struggle with this name. Jacob Podal, uh the, the Raptors got him, the Spurs got Kim Birch and a 2024 first-round pick, 2023 second-round pick, and a 2025 second-round pick. So a lot of picks going to the Spurs there, first and second-rounders over the next couple of years. The Lakers traded Russell Westbrook to the Jazz in a three-team deal. The Lakers received D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. The Timberwolves received Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a 2024 second-round pick swap via the Lakers, a 2025 second-round pick via the Jazz, and a 2026 second-round pick via the Jazz. The Jazz got Juan Toscano-Anderson, Russell Westbrook, and Damian Jones, and the Lakers' 2027 first-round pick. The Nuggets got Thomas Bryant from the Lakers. The Lakers got Mo Bamba, Davin Reed, and a second-round pick. The Clippers got Bones Highland. Patrick Beverly went to the Magic in that deal, as well as a second-round 2024 pick and some cash for the Magic. The Hawks got Bruno Fernando and Garrison Matthews from the Rockets, who received Justin Holiday and Frank Kaminsky. I think Frank Kaminsky was with the Rockets before, so I guess he's back over there. And a 2024 second-round pick and 2025 second-round pick. The Suns and Thunder completed a trade on February 9th as well. This is all; These are all trade deadline deals that we're on now. Darius Baisley goes to the Suns for Dario Saric uh, and a 2020 round, 2029 second-round pick to the Thunder and some cash. The Pistons got James Wiseman. The Warriors received Gary Payton II who I think Gary Payton II was with Golden State. I could be wrong. He was with the Timberwolves, or not Timberwolves, sorry, the Trailblazers, and uh, he goes back to the Warriors. The Warriors got three conditional future second-round picks from Atlanta. The Hawks received Sadiq Bay, and the Trailblazers received Kevin Knox. That was a big, the Pistons, Warriors, Hawks, and Blazers receiving deals. Blazers got five future second-round picks. I mean, there you go right there. They said, you can have five of these second-rounders. Um... The Pelicans uh, traded for Josh Richardson and they gave up Devontae Graham and second round picks in 2024, 26, 29, and 28. Celtics got Mike Muscala from the Thunder, who received Justin Jackson and two future second rounders in return. The Clippers got Eric Gordon. It's uh, kind of amazing. I didn't realize he was still playing, to be honest with you. (laughs) The Clippers got... Eric Gordon, and three future second-rounders. John Wall and Danny Green head to the Rockets with a protected pick swap from the Clippers, and the Grizzlies receive Luke Kennard out of the deal. 76ers uh, were in a four-team transaction to receive Jalen McDaniels and a 2024 and 29 second-round pick. The Hornets got Sfi Mikaliuk, and a 2023 and 2027 second round pick. The Blazers received Cam Reddish, Matisse Thibel, uh, Ryan Arcadiacono, and a first round pick in 2023 from New York. So Blazers making a big move there. And the Knicks received Josh Hart. The Clippers traded with the Hornets for Mason Plumley. Hornets got Reggie Jackson and a 2028 second round pick. I think Reggie Jackson is going to be bought out by the Hornets as well, so he's going to go somewhere else. The now here's the here's the big the big daddy of them all. Though we got through all those little trades here, we got to the big daddy here. The Suns land Kevin Durant in a four team deal with a lot of assets moving around. So stick with me here as I'm talking. The Suns receive Kevin Durant and T.J. Warren. So there's our headliner. Kevin Durant going to the Suns, joining Booker, CP3, DeAndre Ayton. You say, well, how is the how is he joining CP3, DeAndre Ayton, and Booker? They didn't have to give any of those guys up for him. Nope, they gave up Michael Bridges and Cameron Johnson and Juan Pablo Valle. That's who the Nets received. They also received the Nets received first round picks in 2023, 2025, and 2027 from Phoenix. They have a 2028 first-round pick swap from Phoenix as well, so they have the right to swap picks with Phoenix if they want in 2028. Phoenix has a higher pick. And a 2028 second-round pick from Milwaukee, a 2029 first-round pick from Phoenix, and a 2029 second-round pick from Milwaukee. So, in all told, four first-round picks from Phoenix, and they can swap with Phoenix if Phoenix's pick is better in 2028. So that is um, insane, we'll say. And a couple of second rounders, the Bucks receive Jay Crowder. The Suns shipped him off. They've been looking to move him for a while now. The Pacers received George Hill. What year is it? Hands back on the Pacers. George Hill, uh, Serge Ibaka going to the Pacers, and Jordan Noara going to the Pacers. Three future second round picks from Milwaukee and some cash from Brooklyn for the Pacers. That is there you have it. Those are the those, that's the trade deadline. We read them all off. That's everything that happened uh leading up to that and on the trade deadline day of February 9th. Um yeah, the big deal being Durant going to the Suns and of course Kyrie going to the Mavericks, so the the Nets totally blowing it up basically. Moving on from those two guys. We'll see how the Suns with uh with KD Fair. Uh, it is not particularly hard, I don't think, to move Kevin Durant into your offense when you when you uh, acquire a, a player of that caliber. I know the Mavericks are yet to win a game with Kyrie. Kyrie and Luca have been lighting it up score wise, but they've been losing by a couple of points. Not a shock, considering that um, that team's not very deep. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how. Uh, I mean, Kevin Durant. That's that's pretty earth shattering. I mean, it, it's actually pretty crazy to me. Having followed the NBA, like I as I stated last week, I don't follow it as far as like knowing every player's stats on every team all the time, like like I used to. But I am constantly in the know of who's good and who's not, and who's winning and who's balling out and all that stuff. I'm I'm aware of all that, right? And having been involved with the NBA and following the NBA for as long as I have now, uh, which is
1: probably at least at this level for, gosh. Getting pretty close to 20 years. The amount
0: of guys swapping teams, getting traded around. I mean, like, who would have thought, you know, looking at some of these guys the way, like, solid players are moving around, just being tossed around. There's just no, like, get your foundation and keep your players and build your team anymore at all. It is, It is just swap, 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 swap. And the super teams i mean you've got durant joining a loaded team
1: in phoenix that's just wild you know he's joining a loaded team there um i it's just sort of a reminder of of why i i only loosely
0: peripherally follow the nba anymore that with load management that's a whole other discussion but just the, the, the issues that, that sort of plague this league, to me, that that make it so not worth caring for the entire regular season. Uh, it's okay if you do care in the regular season, but I just don't. Um, I think the the playoffs are usually pretty good because they actually decide to start trying to play defense in the playoffs. They're not load managing anymore the actual players are playing the games and it's so wild to me because if you re if you rewind to 10, 12 years ago, people would look at you funny if you told them that, um, Oh yeah, this, this guy's load managing. You go, what, the, what are you talking about? Load management, you know, long gone are the days where a star player is playing all 82 games. They, they just don't do it anymore. And it's, uh, as I said, that, that could be a whole other discussion, but it, it is so impactful in a negative way to the NBA that they they have got to find a way to do something about that. Um, I, I remember that you could turn on a game back when I was in high school. I could turn on a game. I'd go, oh, who's playing tonight? Oh, the Lakers are playing the... Um, shoot, I don't know. Lakers are playing the Suns. Man, that... Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire and and versus uh you know Kobe and Pow and Bynum that's going to be a good game. You know now you'd turn that on and be like, well Kobe's resting, uh Steve Nash is limited. They're going to play him for 14 minutes and Amari is resting as well. Uh and, and oh and Pow is not going to play. So be like, oh boy, it's the Andrew Bynum show versus the the second second string for the the Suns. They just. that was unheard of. That was unthought of that, that that would even be a thing. I I look at the matchup and as, but you know, barring an actual legitimate injury, Oh, ankle sprain or something, barring a legitimate injury. You look at a matchup and go, Oh, cool. Yeah. That's going to be a good one tonight. And you'd actually tune in to watch. And and now you sit here and you get to the day of, and it's eh, won't play rest load management. And, uh, I, I'm just going to call it like I see it. I, I think it's pretty bull that guys that are being paid absolutely astronomical, stupid amounts of money every year. The, the NBA contracts have gotten just wildly out of hand. And those guys are making absolutely obscene money. And you're telling me that, that this oh, load management, so foolish. How about you just stay, you know, everybody stay in shape and you play the games. If you don't want a guy to go 100%, tell him to go 70%. Tell them to take it easy. Don't jump for any crazy rebounds. Don't dive for any loose balls. Don't do anything dumb. You know, but but play the play the dang game. That's the way I see it.
1: Anyway. Moving on from that and moving into the uh, from the from the trades and the load management to the
0: all-star uh the all-star activities and the all-star game and all that stuff. So we have the skills challenge three point. Uh, contest and the dunk contest. The three things that they've been doing for a while now. Uh, the crown jewel, so to speak, being the dunk contest. So let's talk about this. I, I had to wait until today, the 15th here, to talk, to record this episode because I wanted to talk about this. And they had not released the, who was going to be in it. I mean, the, the the all this stuff is is in quite literally four days and they finally tell you who's going to be in it. Um which i also think is ridiculous because i'm sure these tickets for this event are expensive and imagine you buying tickets to this event cuz you're like oh i want to see the oh, yeah i want to see the skills thing and the three point contest and the dunk contest and and then you just you basically get uh, get dumped on here with like bad participants or a stupid event or whatever and you've paid all this money so i think it's pretty dumb that it took this long to get the names out uh i feel like it's also bad for promotion, right? You want to be able to promote this for a while? Anyway, I'm no expert. They have changed up the skills challenge. I mean, let's just be honest. Who the hell cares about the skills challenge? I mean, seriously, show of hands. Who cares? I I, I know I'm I'm sounding like a massive hater right now, but who cares? The skills challenge, I, I don't think anybody has ever cared. This is just, they can just slap a sponsor on it and make some money, but nobody cares. And t- they, they've made it even dumber now because they, they've tried to change the format of the skills competition, I know, a lot over the last several years because it, it nobody cares. Nobody watches. Everybody at the arena doesn't care. They're in line for hot dogs and soda uh, when, when the skills challenge is going on. They, they don't give a crap. Uh, but they have split it into three teams. That will compete against each other in the skills competition. There is a team relay round where you have to do a bunch of relay garbage. I'm 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 literally sorry. I
1: I I, sh- I feel like I should read this to you, but I really don't want to. It's the it's very long for each round,
0: and and nobody cares. So uh you can look it up on the NBA.com slash news slash twenty twenty three skills challenge, but the teams go one at a basically the teams go one at a time. It's a timed relay where you have to do outlet passes and dribble down the floor, shoot a short one, make a layup, you know, all that. I, I'm just reading off the list here. It's the the next round is team passing. You have to pass accurately, then you have to shoot accurately in a shooting competition thing. Nobody cares. Uh, the tiebreaker is a half-court shot. The teams are Team Antetokounmpo, which is Giannis, Thanasis, and Alex. The Antetokounmpo brothers uh, are on that team. The Jazz is is Team Jazz. Uh, that is Jordan Clarkson, Walker Kessler, and Colin Sexton. woo The rookies are... Uh, team Rookies is... Paulo Banquero, Jaden Ivey, and Jabari Smith Jr. Okay. So I'm just moving on from the skills challenge. Nobody cares about this. It's, I'm sorry, NBA. Hey, listen, hey, if you're listening, NBA, um, nobody cares about this at all. Uh, now, the other two competitions that people do tend to care more about are the three-point contest and the dunk contest. So moving on to the three-point contest, always the second event of the evening. Past the skills competition where everybody is peeing and buying pretzels, um, the 2023 uh, participants this year are—it's a pretty lackluster field. Uh, I looked at this and uh, as I was getting ready to sit down and do this today, and was severely disappointed. Like, man, this is this is rough uh, because the, the three point contest, dunk contest, the main objective needs to be. That you get your stars into the event.
1: Get your stars into the event. Uh, we've got Tyrese Halliburton. Man, sounds like a fish. Hallibut. we got Tyler Harrow. <laughs> Buddy Heald.
0: Evan Huerter. Damian Lillard. See, there you go. There's a star player. Lowry Markkinen. Hey, he's emerging into a, a star. He He deserves to be there this year for sure. Anthony Simons and Jason Tatum. There's another star player. But you know, the other guys are I'm not saying those guys are bad. You know, Tyrese Halliburton, Tyler Harrow, Buddy Healed, Kevin Huerta, Anthony Simons, if you're listening, okay. Not saying you guys are bad players. You're good players. You're just not star power names. And arguably Larry Markkinen is not a star power power name either, but he he's been balling out of his mind this year, I think, and and shooting the, the ball. He deserves to be there.
1: Maybe those other guys do too, but Lillard and Tatum are the only star names here. That's it. Those are your two star
0: players in the three point contest. Yes, me, that's pathetic. To have eight guys in the contest and two of them are well recognized star players. Uh, that is just how hard, how lazy are these NBA players now? I'm sorry but it's just true to not, they don't want to participate in a three point contest. What do you have to do to get these guys to give a damn? And, and uh, cause I'm going to talk about that whole point in a minute when we talk about the game, but man, it's a three point contest. How can you not get some of your other star players to be interested in participating in this? I mean, my goodness. So you know the this is pretty straightforward the format and the rules and all that they got they got ball racks at the in the corners the wings and the top of the key they got the money balls um at the end of the racks and the fifth rack is a special all money ball rack they can put that wherever they want the money balls are worth uh uh 3 points and the uh regular shots are worth 1 I think the money balls used to only be worth two, so I guess they changed that. But, um, they have one minute, 10 seconds to shoot as many of them as they can. Uh, three people compete in the final round. So, you know, weeds down from there, but I just, I think it's pretty pathetic to have two star names there out of eight possible participants. Um, it's NBA. You got to do better than that. You got to find a way to, to get these guys to care uh, more than this. So that's a three point contest and the slam dunk contest. Oh boy. The slam dunk contest.
1: Snoozer.
0: Oh, they have been struggling with this event for so long. Everybody knows like 2016 was awesome. Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine uh, dueling it out there. But we have got, and you know, I could be totally wrong. Like the, maybe this one will actually be good. But we've got Kenyon Martin Jr., Mac McClung, Trey Murphy III, and Jericho Sims. I mean, I'm sitting here. Who the hell are these guys? I mean, you know, we, we all remember Mac McClung's
1: Ball is Life mixtape. Let's check in on how he's doing in the NBA. Uh, let's see. Mac McClung. I- I'm looking it up right now. All right. He is averaging a whopping four points
0: in the NBA. He has played in two games this season and in his career. He has played in two games in his career and has scored. He's averaging four points, so he scored eight points in
1: the NBA. This guy's in the dunk contest. This guy's in the dunk contest. What are we doing? What are we doing, NBA? What is this? You know, I mean, for that matter, you know, what's Kenyon Martin Jr. doing? Kenyon Martin Jr. is averaging 11.7 points in 26
0: minutes. So, hey, at least he's actually playing uh, some significant bench minutes here. Okay, averaging 11 points. He's not a star. He's Kenyon
1: Martin's son. Uh, let's see about Trey Murphy III. Trey Murphy III is averaging... is a nine points in his career
0: score. He's averaging 13 this season. He, he is a, a nine points
1: per game score in his career. And Jericho Sims. Let's check out those stats. He is averaging 3.7 points per game on 16 minutes. Or 4.9 rebounds. This is who they have chosen for the premier event of
0: All-Star Game Weekend for the activities, the Slam Dunk Contest. I know I'm going to sound like a boomer. When I say that, oh, back in the days with Jordan and Dominique Wilkins, Spud Webb, and you know, Spud Webb is you know, it's fair. Spud Webb was a was not a superstar player or whatever, but the intrigue was that he was five seven,
1: right? And I'll tell you, Vince Carter, and and, and heck, even back to the Blake
0: Griffin and and all that, and Dwight Howard, but these guys. This event has just gone so far downhill, it's unbelievable. I mean, I think back to... I, I remember when they followed up, I, I believe, a pretty good dunk contest lineup with the next year being that Jeremy Evans won. And then I think he won again the next year. And you know, Jeremy Evans, no offense Jeremy Evans, but the guy's probably parking cars now. You know, where the hell's
1: Jeremy Evans? And they... I don't know they they just cannot get their star players
0: to participate in this event. they cannot get them to care. I don't know why they can't get them to care it's It's kind of amazing because they you you would think that it would be a dream of some guys to participate in the dunk contest and that that when given the opportunity because this is not a like like the n b a goes we've extended these invites, but if you're you know there was all the controversy for years, like LeBron do the dunk contest, and LeBron totally should have done it. He ducked it because he didn't want to lose it. I'll I'll die on that hill. And but if LeBron had said, "Hey, David Stern, I want to be, I want to do the dunk contest," be like, "All right, you're in, let's go." Anybody that is that is anybody in this league can ask to be in the dunk contest. They can ask, and the, and they will be in it. And the, none of them are. So you end up with Mac McClung, Jericho Sims, Trey Murphy, and Kenyon Martin Jr.
1: for your premier event. That that's how you end up with that. And it just it's 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 just amazing how far this event has fallen, truly. Really.
0: And this a, a simple I mean the simplest fix is that you put guys in it. You put stars in the dunk contest. You find a way to make them interested in this. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad.
1: Will I watch it? You know, I guess for the purposes of uh doing this podcast, I will. I'll have it
0: on. You know, I'll watch I'll watch the three-point contest and dunk contest. I'll have it on. But anyway, that's your that's your slam dunk contest. This event's fallen super far down. I mean, these these are again, these are all my opinions. These are just my opinions. You can disagree with me that is fine but this event has fallen down uh to horrendous levels of uh of being pitiful and this is just another chapter in it now the all-star roster let's talk about this of course the all-star game um, is there is is a popularity contest uh as far as the starters go i believe i think that's where the votes come in and then after
1: that it's your um it's your your peers and, and people around the league. Um, so
0: our all-stars are all, excuse me, our all-star starters for the Eastern conference. They're doing, they're not doing East and West again. They're doing the team captain stuff is Giannis Antetokounmpo is the team Giannis captain in the Eastern conference um, who will have himself on the team. Obviously Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum. Uh, Joel Embiid is replacing Kevin Durant in the starting lineup due to injury, um, and he—he's uh, oh, Embiid is taking his place on the Western Conference. LeBron James team is Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Lowry Markin. Again, he's been balling out of his mind. Lowry is is awesome, and I've been following Lowry ever since he went to University of Arizona bear down um and uh knew that that eventually he was going to break out he was going to be a good player in this league Ja Morant and Nikola Jokic uh round out the starters on the eastern conference side of things for the reserves we've got Kevin Durant voted as a starter but is injured and will not play Bam Adebayo two-time all-star three-time all-defensive team he's He's getting his flowers there. Jalen Brown, Demar Derozan, Tyrese Halliburton, Jeru Holiday, sorry, Drew Holiday, uh, Julius Randall, and Pascal Siakam. Those are those are your uh, Eastern Conference reserves on the Western Conference side of things. We got Steph Curry, Zion Williamson. Uh, Steph Curry is injured and will not play. As is Zion. Anthony Edwards is an injury replacement. De'Aaron Fox is an injury replacement. Paul George. Shai, Gilgis, Alexander, Jaron, Jackson, Jr., Damian Lillard, and DeMontis, Sabonis. Those are your
1: Western Conference reserves, including those that are injured and will not play. So, there's nothing wrong with these All-Stars.
0: Let me me get that out of the way, since I sounded like such a hater on the other thing. There's nothing wrong with these All-Stars. All these guys deserve it. They're all doing doing great things. Um,
1: What I have a problem with In the all-star game. Is. How. Pathetic this event has
0: gotten. From a standpoint of that all these dudes are mega rich. And they don't care. And they go out there and they jog. And they pull up from half court. And a guy runs up does a lazy dunk. Or something. Or they run around another lazy three-point shot. And they're just jogging around. Doing nothing. And it's an exhibition game. Right? So, why would they want to play hard or risk getting hurt? All that kind of stuff. But then they usually decide to actually try for about five minutes in the fourth quarter. They just kind of keep it close. Hell, they're probably told just keep it close. Like, hey, if you score a little too much, let them get some shots up. Um, and
1: they they try for about five minutes, kind of, at the end. And that's the game. It is boring. These days, boring, boring, boring event. And
0: interestingly enough, it's having an an entertaining all-star game is kind of tough these days. I personally, these days, I think baseball's got it. I think the MLB's got it. Because the guys actually are trying. You have to try. You can't be lazy in baseball. There, there is no such thing as lazy in baseball. You can't be lazy in baseball. You can you can't just throw the ball in a little you know, you can't throw the ball in slower or swing you know softer or whatever. Um and th- they're trying. They they're actually trying in that game. They don't try in the NBA. The we talked about the pro bowl last week and the fiasco that that situation is. But the thing is is that they used to try. In the NBA All-Star Game. I Again, I'm sorry that I sound like a boomer or something here, but they they used to try. Take take it back, uh, you know, to to what I was talking about before, where when I kind of got into basketball or, or in the time when I was earlier, newer to watch it, late 2000s or, or mid-2000s and onward and everything, and there were some great All-Star Games in there where the guys tried, where maybe they weren't going 100% for the first four quarter or first three three quarters but they were they were going 85 percent 80 85 percent you know they were trying to play defense and actually trying to score and and all that stuff uh, they, they had to actually kind of work for it and in the fourth quarter they usually locked up they tried like that was a pride thing they tried in the fourth quarter they'd get out there and they would lock up and they'd be playing some good basketball and that was so fun to watch when you've got the, some of the best players, the best players in the NBA, best players in the world, all out there on the same court giving it their all
1: and trying to win. Pride is on the line, right? It's That was a great product. That was a great product having guys jog around and
0: throw down a lazy dunk or chuck a shot from 40 feet is not a good product.
1: That's a crappy product. Uh, I'm just saying it like it is. That is a bad product. And they have tried to remedy the
0: situation with the, like, having the team captains and picking their teams so they can talk trash or they can do whatever and paying them more money. Guys, you'll get a million bucks. Come on. Or whatever, trying to pay them more money. But the truth is they're all richer than God. They don't care.
1: They don't care. Uh, Let me see. Who's the quote-unquote worst player on this list? Let's take a look here. Um... I mean, statistically, Jaron Jackson Jr., I guess. He's
0: averaging 16 point, 16.7 and 6.6 rebounds per game. Uh, his, obviously, his thing is defense. I'm not knocking him for only averaging 16 and, or whatever, but he is a center that's only averaging 6.6 rebounds. So let's look him up. Jaron
1: Jackson Jr. contract. Four years, $105 million. So
0: what is this? He's 23 years old. What does this guy care about the All-Star Game?
1: He doesn't care. <laughs> There's, We'll pay you a million dollars if you win. So? So what? So. <laughs> goodness gracious. He, and that's not even including, you know, the money before that. Let's see what. Did he make anything before that? Oh, I guess that's just his like immediate signing. That's what
0: he gets. So, oh no, sorry, he was on a uh, a four year, twenty nine point two million dollar deal before that. His entry level deal. He just signed this extension this year. So, he's already made thirty million bucks in the NBA. He's set to make another hundred. What does he care about this game? Pride? No. These guys are all insanely rich. You can't motivate them with money. And they're all so friendly these days. I know, again, I sound like a boomer. Taking back to the days where they hated each other. But there, there's no competition. They, they they don't hate each other. They, they, they're all friendly. They don't care about money. You, you can't get them to... there is there. I don't see a path. I guess my whole thing here is that I don't see a path
1: in which you can make these guys care about this game. I don't see it. I, I'm totally open to suggestions, but I have thought about this before. I don't. There's no way to make them care. There was
0: there was a time, you know, where when the guys would win a new car or get a big cash bonus for winning, that, that was huge. And they cared. They thought about it. Like, man, yeah. We'll win this game and, you know, we're, we're getting a big fat bonus. This is awesome. And, and now all these guys make ignorant amounts of money and you can't get them to care. Whether they win or lose. They probably get, you know, they're gonna get paid something, win or lose. So what do they care? And it doesn't take any meals away from them to lose this game. So that that's a that's a big uh that's that's my biggest gripe. That's me rambling on about that. That's my biggest gripe. Uh, with with this game. I don't I don't have a problem with any players in it or anything like that. they all deserve it, but they don't care about the game. It is guaranteed to be another terrible product. You can't make them care. You can't make them try. and it, And it's it's gonna be it's gonna be bear, it's it's gonna be bad. It's gonna be unbearable. So that's uh yeah that's what I have to say about that's what I have to say about all the All Star stuff. Three Point Contest, you're lacking stars, and that's a, that's a an issue. The Dunk Contest, your premier event, no star power. Um
1: pitiful and your all star game, nobody tries and nobody cares. And it 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 just it just means it just means so little. It means nothing. And um it's very
0: unfortunate. Again, a fall from grace of a of a of a great spot they were at when these guys did care. So that I believe is just about gonna wrap up our NBA discussions right there. So that uh, that has that. Wrapped up in a neat bow. Uh, the next thing that we are going to discuss
1: is... We're going we're gonna to keep this a little bit um, quicker. Is uh, the NCAA. We're going to talk about
0: uh, a superior basketball product, the NCAA, where they actually play defense and you have to run plays and know the game of basketball instead of just handing it to one guy and say, dribble around for 20 seconds and shoot a three. Um, and what I wanted to talk about here was specifically as we're coming up on March Madness, obviously it's February 15th, middle of the month. Um, we've got, uh, some exciting basketball in that tournament as we always do. And I wanted to just kind of go over the rankings here, uh, where we're at in week 15 of men's college basketball and compare them to where we were at last year as well, because I saw something that was just a little bit interesting about, uh, Few things that are very interesting about about this year that uh, stood out to me. So, uh, I have not been uh, watching every game of college basketball, but again, it's another it's another one that I just kind of keep an eye on what's going on and who's where. And at the moment, the AP Top twenty five in men's college basketball has Alabama number one with a twenty two and three record, Houston at twenty three and two. So twenty-two and three, and then twenty-three and two. Alabama at number one. Houston at number two. Purdue at twenty-three and three at number three. UCLA at twenty-one and four. Kansas at twenty and five in the fifth spot. Texas at twenty and five in the sixth spot. Virginia at nineteen and four in the seventh spot. Arizona at twenty-two and four in the eighth spot, and Baylor in at nineteen and six. And the ninth spot in Tennessee at 19 and six in the 10th spot. So that's top 10. The rest of the way that it rounds out, I guess, to read them quickly, is Marquette, Kansas State, Gonzaga, Indiana, Miami, Xavier, St. Mary's, Creighton, Iowa State, Yukon, San Diego State, TCU, NC State, Providence, and Florida, Atlantic. Now, at this point last year, week 15, in men's college basketball. The top 10 was Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, Kentucky, Purdue, Kansas, Baylor, Providence, Duke and Villanova. So Gonzaga was leading the way at a 21 and 2 record, Auburn with a 23 and 2 record, Arizona with a 22 and 2 record. Kentucky 21 and 4, Purdue 22 and 4, Kansas 20 and 4, uh, Baylor 21 and 4, Providence 21 and 2, Duke 21 and 4, Villanova 19 and 6. That was our top 10. What stood out to me that was interesting was that a lot of these top 10 teams have just lost more games this year. There's only one top 10 team with two losses, and it's Houston at number two. Last year, there were four teams in the top 10 with two losses at this point in the season. And there are one, two, three, four teams this year with five or more losses in the top 10, and there was one last year and it was the 10th team at 19 and 6 it was villanova so a lot of these top teams have there's just been they've been losing more games this year which is very interesting because it it, st- it stood out to me because just in sort of like a you know in the memory bank so to speak i felt like that seemed like it was more losses than you usually see and was right that was that was more that was more losses than you usually see at this time of year. I even went back and looked at 2019-2020 season. And at this point of the year in 2019 season. Baylor and Gonzaga had one loss. 21 and one for Baylor, 25 and 1 for Gonzaga. Kansas was third at 20 and three. San Diego State was 24 and 0. Louisville was 21 and 3. Dayton was 21 and 2. Duke, 20 and 3. 20 and 3 for Florida State, 19 and 4 for Maryland, and 18 and 5 for Seton Hall. So you see the same trends. We've got, at this point in 2019, we've got two one loss teams, a zero loss team, one five loss team in the top 10, and it's number 10. So it stood out to me looking at that, that that there's been a lot of losses by these teams in the top 10 this year. Very interesting. Uh, Very interesting stuff. And that a lot of names that we're used to seeing in those top tens were not there, and some names that we are not used to seeing in the top ten sort of on a regular basis uh were there so alabama Alabama basketball now, when we look back to twenty nineteen twenty twenty they weren't even top twenty five at this point of the year
1: uh in the final rankings. They didn't make top 25. I don't even know where they finished. In the 2021... Let's see. Sorry, in the... Week 15 of...
0: 2021-2022, they were 25th with a 16-9 and nine record. So this is last year. Now, this year, they are number one at 22-3. and three. I mean that Alabama is known for football. They are not typically known for their prowess in college basketball. They've produced some basketball players, but they're not typically typically known for that. Typically known for for basketball. Houston, I can't say that it's like too surprising.
1: Houston is one of those schools that seems to be
0: up and down. They'll have uh, they'll have a good run with a good core of players. There's some good stuff going on, and you don't see them for a few years, and they're kind of back into it. That's not
1: too surprising. Uh, the same can kind of be said about um, uh, Purdue. But the uh, another interesting name that I saw there was Virginia.
0: That's that's uh, that's interesting. Virginia is is uh is an interesting one they like they've been at the top before
1: don't get me wrong that's I'm not saying they've never been there or anything like that but they where was the rankings from uh from last year i'm sorry hold on uh virginia wasn't even a top 25 team last year they, they weren't even a top 25 team last year
0: Uh so to have them come out of the come out like this is is pretty pretty insane uh They've had some good teams in the past, though. And but they're they're up there in the uh seventh spot. Uh Arizona, you know, there's some guys that we do always see here, though. Arizona, Kansas. Uh UCLA is kind of up and down, I feel, but they're usually more towards the up than they are the down. But sometimes you get a down year out of them, and then they storm back and they're good for three more years. Uh Kansas is is just about always there. Uh Baylor is a consistent name, especially recently. Uh to, to see there but uh Gonzaga falling all the way to thirteenth at the moment um and not having Duke or Kentucky. Thank God, am I right? Having not having Duke or Kentucky
1: in the top twenty-five is uh it's a it's a great feeling really <laughs> uh not not
0: having them in the top twenty-five uh I, I won't hide my disdain for both of those Programs, But uh, not having them in top 25 is kind of wild. Uh, we've got no UNC, you know, no, uh, no North Carolina. I know all the shakeups and coaching and all that stuff and how that all changes and everything. But you typically you just see, you know, it's it's so strange not seeing those schools there because of how they are just constantly uh, bringing in top recruiting classes and having some of the best guys and all that stuff Uh and they're they're not there and they're not good so uh kind of kind of surprising just to just to see that um
1: and um you know seeing seeing some other guys up there we got t c u in the top twenty five and um florida atlantic uh taking the twenty fifth
0: spot right now they're twenty four and two but they obviously the strength of schedule and their opponents being considered there. But, uh, yeah, so some interesting schools being being in this this top 25 and especially in the top 10. Texas has its up and down uh, years, and they've been better in recent years than than they had been. And it, it's, it's kind of funny. Texas is, is one that's kind of funny as to why they are not consistently better or competing the way that you would expect them to with how, in in all their programs, actually, uh, they they've had some great years in football, baseball, basketball, but they just can't. They're just not as consistent in some of those programs as some of the other schools that are consistent that have achieved consistent greatness uh, in in those programs. And so Texas has been better in recent years, um, and you'd hope to see at least I'd hope to see them uh, continue to continue to get better, but.
1: There you have it. That's that's
0: kind of our college basketball discussion uh for for this episode. Uh I don't don't typically we'll we'll talk about college basketball definitely more during March Madness, but um uh just uh, just a couple of little interesting insights didn't mean to go on too long about that. Just some interesting insights that the, the, the seeing some schools up there you don't usually see seeing some other schools that are um that are not there and how a lot of these teams have have lost some games this year compared to some other years uh, where you you have a lot of teams that are left at this point that are undefeated or one loss two loss teams and we just don't have that much of that this year a lot of guys losing so anyway on to the next bit of discussion here um which is going to be our final segment of the podcast <laughs> The, we're going to talk about the Daytona 500. Uh, we're not going too deep into this. We'll talk more about it after the actual race happens. But uh, on our NASCAR portion of the show, as the season is kicking off, so there's going to be NASCAR on like every, every show, letting you know that. <laughs> because we'll probably talk about just about every race uh, throughout the season. But uh, Daytona 500 is this Sunday. If you're not a NASCAR fan, I do recommend that you check this race out. Uh, it is it's typically NASCAR's biggest race. Um, they, they open the season with a bang. Daytona, historic, uh, you know, track, st- storied track that uh, creates, has some great racing. They're going fast. Uh, you, you definitely want to tune in. If you're not a NASCAR person, tune in to Daytona 500. Check it out. Even if you only watch the end or something, watch it for a little bit, but give it a shot. Give it a fair shake. Uh, That will be on Sunday the 19th uh, at, I believe, 2.30 Eastern Time, 1.30
1: Central and 12.30, or sorry, 11.30 Pacific Time. Now, what I just wanted to talk about
0: here is because there's not too much to talk about as far as what is going on uh, leading into the race here because they have not done qualifying yet. For it, they have not had the dual races or anything, but uh, I figured we'd talk about the odds, uh, the 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 odds makers. Uh, so the, the, this particular set of odds I found was from Sportsline, which lists our favorites as Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, Alex Bowman, Ross Chastain, Brad Keselowski, William Byron, Bubba Wallace, Christopher Bell, Martin Truex Jr. Goes on from there because uh, there's so many, but that's
1: that's about the top. What is that? About the top ten or so, and um, what uh, what I find
0: interesting when I looked at these is f- some guys being favored here that that I just or or being favored above others that I just wouldn't see. It's like I don't know why you'd put Alex Bowman above Martin Truex Jr. I I'd, I'd venture to say that Martin Truex Jr. has a better shot of winning this race than Alex Bowman. Um, I'd even argue I don't think that Chase Elliott should be. Favored, so to speak, above Logano, Kozlowski, even even though he's at Roush now and and they're not as strong, but he's typically been pretty good on plate tracks. Uh, Chastain, uh, Hamlin, I, I would even Blaney. I, like Chase has won a couple of plate races. He's won the the New Atlanta. He's won Talladega. Uh, but I would not put him put him above some of the success that some of those other guys have had. So I'm not sure what the I mean, he's a strong car and it's hard to bet against him because he's so good and he does win at a variety of tracks. But um, our least favorite driver, drivers are Cody Ware and B.J. McLeod down, McLeod, down at the bottom, uh, very bottom of the list. Interestingly enough, Jimmy Johnson is like in the bottom 15. And I, if I was going to pick my
1: biggest surprise to run a top 10, Daytona this year, surprise, so to speak, it's going to be Jimmy, uh,
0: because the plate tracks t- tend to, as, as my NASCAR people know, or maybe if you don't know NASCAR, the plate, uh, restrictor plate tracks, super speedways, your Talladegas and your Daytonas tend to produce more sort of surprise winners or top 10, like running strong guys that typically don't because you're sort of equalized with the restrictor plates and the draft being able to work the draft uh you can you can have a guy that is typically a 15th 20th place car actually get a top 5 or even win the race because it all it's all about timing and where you are and if you get the right push and the right draft and the right run and everything you can get there and you can win the race uh you know Jimmy Jimmy's been away from NASCAR now for a couple of years. He ran Indy and he's been away from NASCAR for a couple of years. This is a different car. This is not like the car that he was running uh, when he retired. This is the new car that they only ran last year. And this is the second year. So, and, and Jimmy is older. Jimmy's pushing 50 now, I think. Um, and he, you know, he's, he showed the last few years of his career at Hendrick that he just, he slipped. He just wasn't the same guy. He wasn't winning races like he was. And, uh, but that being said, if I was going to bet, does Jimmy Johnson finish in the top 10 or does Austin Hill finish in the top 10? I'm putting, um, the money's on Jimmy in that, in that sort of, you know, that sort of, uh, side by side. And, that being said, it's it's kind of foolish to me to pretend, and I could be totally wrong. Maybe Jimmy's going to finish terrible, but Jimmy is in a Petty car now, Legacy Motorsports, as Jimmy Johnson bought into uh, Petty GMS. It's now Legacy Motorsports, part owner of the team, and but it's not like those cars have been bad. Those cars have just those cars have just not been consistent winners. The Petty program for a while now. It's not they haven't been consistent winners, but they haven't been bad. They win a race every now and then. I think uh, Jones won Darlington last year. They win a race every now and then, and certainly at plate tracks, they're always they, they, there's always a chance that they that they can win a race there, uh, just like everybody else. But they're not horrible cars. You know, they're fifteenth to twentieth place cars, and typically speaking, maybe crack a top ten here and there, but. That being said, it's, like, it's, it's not like Jimmy's hopping in a Rick Ware car for this race. He's, he's hopping in a, in a petty car, in, in his new team car here. It's not a bad car. So, you know, he, he's very far down in these odds to win the race, obviously. And I think winning the race probably is a little bit of a stretch, but you, I don't think you can count him out for that either. If you were gonna bet on a long, if I'm betting on a long shot, I'm betting on Jimmy. That's, I guess, that's what I was trying to get to, is that if I'm betting on a long shot on these odds, it's Jimmy, um, easily because uh, he's got the experience. He's run however many of these eighteen Daytona 500, twenty Daytona 500, something like that. Pretty close, probably twenty. He's ran this track at least forty times in points races with the with the date the the two races on the schedule. Plus the dual races. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy's run races at this track. I mean, realistically, dual races and all that, and, the, and when the Clash was still there, Jimmy has run this track in races with other guys at, at this level of competition at least 60 times, right? However many Daytona 500s and the Pepsi races, and the dual races and the clashes, he's he's run this race this track at least 60 times. And that is gonna be 60 more times than Ty Gibbs or uh Chris Busher and, and Daniel Suarez and all these guys. Like, I know these guys aren't total rookies or anything like that, with the exception of Gibbs, but like he he's run this this track and uh, so many more times in all sorts of different cars and equipment and everything like that. So if you're betting on a long shot, bet on Jimmy. I mean, he's he's run this race, he has the experience, he's a great driver. He's won plenty of restrictor plate tracks, plenty of restrictor plate races. And uh it's not like he's in garbage equipment either here. You know, this this is going to be a decent car. Uh so I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to uh to discuss there too. Is we're seeing Jimmy in the 84 car running a part-time schedule this year, running 10 races, I believe. But um it should be an exciting one nonetheless. If you are not a NASCAR fan, I recommend that you tune into it uh for, you know, at least to watch the ending or or just watch some of it, check it out, give it a shot. Uh the next thing I was going to talk about in NASCAR is um keeping an eye on how the racing goes in the race. Now, last year the restrictor plate races Talladega ran okay. I the the, the restrictor plates just didn't run that great last
1: year, and I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that we see some better racing because the issue,
0: it seemed like there was so much drag on the car with the spoilers and the low horsepower of of these cars. They've lowered the horsepower. And the lower horsepower on these cars has affected the plate tracks greatly and there's a lot of drag like when you try to you you see guys the only way that they can pass at these tracks at these plate tracks is through slingshots you could say well they've always had to pass like that well they they exclusively can only pass on slingshotting another driver getting around him uh, hoping that they can clear him then blocking and everything but they block and they, but nobody can get out ahead. Nobody, nobody can do that in this in these cars with these lower horsepower and the and the and the high drag. They they can't get out ahead. You you don't see anybody being able to lead a line. You know, you have a single file, and then you have somebody jump out to make a new line, and they're not leading the way with the with the fresh line uh, down the bottom, and the and the bottom groove just starts taking off. You just don't see it. And nobody can get out, because you don't want to get out ahead, of course, because you'll get caught by the draft and all that stuff. But nobody seems to have the power to get the car out in front to any to any, um, you know, degree. And they can't you can't just go from behind somebody, bump draft and like right on their bumper, and then just shoot out and hit the full throttle, right? Because if you don't understand plate racing, they're not actually. Pedal to the metal the entire way around, if you're not the leader, at least, and all that. Even the leader sometimes. But they're not pedal to the metal the entire way around, um, full throttle, wide open, the entire way. When they're in the pack or you're behind somebody, you're running partial throttle, basically. That's the easiest way I can explain it if you are if you are a NASCAR person and you didn't know this, or if you're not a NASCAR person and you didn't know this. But you're running partial throttle and you're using the draft to maintain the speed. You're getting bumped from behind. That whole line is helping you keep off the throttle, but you can't do that. You'll blow your engine. You know, your temps will get too high. You'll blow your engine if you're running wide open behind a guy. Uh, there's not, you're not getting enough air on the nose. You're, you're going to have a lot. And I'm not a professional driver, and, and a professional driver obviously would explain this a lot better, but you're having to run partial throttle to keep your temps lower and, and, you know, so that you're not basically blowing your engine. Uh, And when you would duck out in the past, you had the horsepower and you could dart out from somebody, try to make that dart and hit full throttle to the pedal to the metal. See if you can drag the people with you or whatever or make a run and get past somebody uh, by, by timing it just right when you're behind somebody. And now it seems like you need a big run and slingshot to clear them but you'll clear them and you'll get right back in line and you have to play the blocking game which is very dangerous at these speeds but you're going to have to play the blocking game because you can't get any separation because there's there's not enough horsepower in these cars you can't get any separation and I don't mean by getting out by 10 car lengths you don't want to do that I mean just trying to keep it a half a car length a car length in your lead at these plate tracks you can't do that they don't have enough horsepower um, one that sticks out in mind was um about keeping that keeping that lead because of similar racing in in the last generation car 2014 Daytona 500 Dale Jr one and that car was strong enough to where he got the lead on the green white checker at the end he got the lead and he kept it he didn't really have to do any blocking because he had enough power to keep the lead and kill the runs that were coming up behind him. And same goes when you look back at a lot of these uh, races 2000s, 90s, whatever when they weren't um even if you go back to the 90s and they weren't entire pack races, um there was some more single file or or double file and and the packs weren't as big because the cars had more horsepower. They the uh, the strategy was 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 staying out far enough ahead of somebody and having, you know, trying to kill their run and, and beat their draft and all that kind of stuff. But it was a different kind of racing. And, and now the, l- the lower horsepower has hurt these plate tracks so bad, if you ask me, uh, because th- they just can't maintain those leads. It's all about blocking, it's dangerous. Uh, and, and there's only one way to pass a guy you can't jump out of line and then full throttle it. You have to, you have to get that slingshot, get out in front, block. And I, I don't think that that is, um, ideal. And on top of that, uh, there's, you know, there's still some concerns about the safety of the car. Some of the drivers saying that you can't, uh, that,
1: that, that they're still, they still felt, um, they still felt as though they, they still felt as though they, uh, were, feeling those
0: hits. Uh, That was a big topic of discussion last year was that this new car, some guys got concussions, some other guys were saying it really knocks the wind out of you, it hurts when you take a hit in this car. We saw in the Talladega fall race that nobody got real aggressive. There was no big wreck and nobody got real aggressive at the end or anything like that. They played it pretty safe because nobody wanted to slam into the wall at 200 miles an hour. And I think... NASCAR claims they made some things to make them safer, but after the clash people were still saying that
1: they felt the hits pretty good and I think that the I think you're going to see that be
0: a factor in this race. I have a feeling that I know everybody's going to be keyed up Daytona 500 and they want to win it and and it's the first race of the year. But I think you're going to see some guys make some business decisions, and and it's you might see a more muted race than you normally do. I could be completely wrong, and it's a total wreck fest. But, you know, I, I think these guys are very nervous about this car still. Nobody wants a concussion. They don't want to have to get out of the car or have it end their career the way they did for Kurt Busch, basically. And I think that they're going to be careful. I really do. I think they're going to be very careful, and I think it's going to affect – um. I think it's going to affect the way that they make decisions on the track. So we'll have to see how that plays out. That is the 19th, this Sunday. Again, highly encourage you to watch it. Uh, At least watch some of it. Watch the ending, whatever. Check it out. Daytona 500, biggest race of the year. It is completely sold out, according to Daytona and NASCAR. They sold out every single ticket in the grandstands, every single RV ticket. They sold it all out. Totally sold out. So we will, uh, we'll see how it goes. There's not supposed to be any rain in the forecast at all. It's supposed to be beautiful and perfect. fingers crossed that it stays that way. We don't have any random tropical storms come up or something and get a lot of, a lot of rain in there. That's a problem you have in Florida. but uh yeah, should be should be a good time. I'm looking forward to it and we'll uh, we'll see how all that plays out. and we'll talk about it uh, probably probably in a, in a few days coming uh, after, after the race. That being said, all that being said, I believe that we have reached the end of the show. We did just over two hours, even longer than last week. We did just over two hours of recording here, covering everything from the Super Bowl to the NBA trade deadline and the All-Star activities. A little bit about the NCAA basketball rankings as we get ready to head into March Madness here soon. And uh, the Daytona 500 and how that's going to play out. My thoughts on the on all that. So, appreciate everybody who has tuned in and made it to this point of the episode at the very end. Thank you all very much for listening. And we will be back next week to discuss a whole new fresh topic uh, or variety of topics in the world of sports. Thank you all. And don't forget to follow the Victory Cigar Pod. Uh, or sorry, don't forget to follow the Victory Cigar Podcast on Twitter at Victory Cigar Pod. And of course, favorite it here on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and stay up to date with new episodes via that Twitter. And of course, they'll always be available on these platforms when we um, when we upload a new episode. So I'll see you everybody next week. Thank you all very much for listening to this one and Victory Cigar Pod on Twitter. Thank you.